Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Uh, at one point, the U.S. press started shouting questions to Biden and Putin, and the pool report says uh, that at that point, a shoving match began to get them out. Russian security was pulling back the rope to get them out. Lots of shoving and grabbing. It was extremely aggressive. The Russian security pulled on our clothes and shoved us as we tried to stay in the room. I have heard from somebody who works at the White House that they were ordered, uh, they were lined up about 10 minutes beforehand to get in, uh, and that as things kind of started to deteriorate in the room, the Swiss, who are the hosts for the U.S. and Russia, the neutral party here, were trying to get people organized, trying to get people in line, and it didn't work. Uh-huh. And, and Russian security was tugging on people? Yeah. And, um... And Biden's kind of opening comments were uh, you couldn't hear them because the Russian press was so loud. But maybe the scrum was just going on at the same time or that was on purpose to drown him out. I have no idea. Yeah. You know, that reminds me a little bit. And this, granted, this was a couple of years ago. But you remember when some of Erdogan's goons from Turkey yep. charged across the street in D.C. and beat down a bunch yep. of people on American soil and got away with it? Yeah, and then you got the old uh, Lutashenko there in uh, in Belarus uh, pulling planes out of the sky. Now you got the Russian security forces in uh, Switzerland uh, roughing up reporters mm. or making it too loud for the U.S. president to be heard. That's the sort of thing. Having read a biography about Putin, that's the sort of thing he's actually an expert in. This sort of thing, um, this sort of psychological, just mucking up the works and things. Uh, for right. going back to his KGB days, so the the, the idea that he uh, the Russian press, which might they might all be military officers, for all I know, um, uh, may have absolutely been instructed to 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 cause a little melee, make a bunch of noise when when right. Biden, when Biden was trying to talk, make him look weak. Yeah, I saw a profile of Putin the other day, and they they showed him with Boris Yeltsin uh, when he uh, just before and just after he assumed power when he, he was really young and lean and looked like something out of s- central casting the evil russian man he was a scary looking dude in in kind of that gray i have no conscience i have no emotions way right uh, man without a face. Great book about Putin. If you want to read a biography of Putin, anyway, inaccurate so, though. He he does have a face. Yeah, I was going to say that. I feel like I would have known yeah. that. But yeah. right right yeah. from the get go, it's misleading. Yeah, lies. Uh, this Which is, again is his specialty. This from Mediaite. DC pundits become body language experts overnight to dissect the S out of the Biden Putin summit. <laughs> <laughs> I like because there's not much to go on yet. They're going to be talking for four or five hours. And they, uh, you had them shake hands, and then they went in and sat down in their chairs, and like a gazillion pictures were taken. Click, and, click, 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 click. And then the press, press was ushered out, so there wasn't much to go on. Let me read a little from Media because it's kind of funny. Um, President Joe Biden is destroying Vladimir Putin at their summit. That's according to the overnight body language experts of Twitter and cable news, who have <laughs> deemed Biden's crossed legs as an absolute triumph over Putin's slouched spread. <laughs> Biden is sitting up straight with his legs crossed the way presidents tend to sit. I got hairy legs. Putin is kind of slouched down in his chair with his legs spread apart. Like, you know, like it's the end of a long day. Kind of interesting. I don't don't know. know, I don't know anything about that. It sounds like they're trying to out casual each other. Biden looks good in these early videos we're seeing, wrote Daily Beast columnist Matt Lewis. Strong body language. 
Others on Twitter were equally confident in their, in their analysis. Mediaite's own Tommy Christopher even dabbled in the body language discourse. When reached for comment to, defi- to defend his tweet, Christopher conceded, yes, body language is dopey for news to do, but it's worth a tweet. We'll take it. <laughs> As it turns out, body language victory is in the eyes of the beholder. This uh, reporter said, uh, it was a Trump supporter, declared Putin the winner of the, uh, orig- the, the initial body language. As did Daily Wire writer Ryan Savada, who described Biden's crossed legs as ladylike, as opposed to the much tougher Putin slouching dominant body language. Wow. Are you are you st- starting to get an idea how clickbait works, folks? I mean, I certainly, uh, these are my colleagues on the right who are writing this stuff, and, and I, I respect them, but... Come on, really? This last paragraph on the story is funny. It's not just Twitter. Biden and Putin have been interacting for less than five minutes total, but body language has been mentioned 22 times on cable news already. No doubt that number will continue to grow. If we're lucky, we might even get a weird power handshake and CNN will implode into itself. (laughs) (laughs) That's some pretty good writing. I appreciate their taking on the, the idiocy of the media. Yeah. You know what you can read from the body language? Not a flippin' thing. Body language is so overrated. Sure. So yeah. overrated. I mean, you might, uh, like, uh, they're both clearly trying to look very relaxed. Sure. Okay, that's interesting. That's a couple of leaders trying to look unintimidated and, and like to cool. But you can't read anything else into it. No. Now they're going to meet for four or five hours, and I stand corrected. No breaks for food. Okay, people who believe that, you know, 99% of communication is nonverbal or whatever that thing is, next time you have a negotiation, hire a mime. See how well you do. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, what he said. (laughs) Okay, so they're meeting for four or five hours, and we were assuming that there's got to be long breaks where they huddle with their people and, you know, you go to the bathroom and you have a little something to eat. But you're saying no food breaks in four or five hours? uh, All right, man. This is this is kind of weird and contradictory. Doesn't he this is from eat his the... soup with his ginkgo biloba in it? Oh, jeez. Uh, this is from the WAPO. The summit is expected to last four to five hours, officials said. So it's summit. Washington Post. They're not always right, but stop with your emails. It's not a summit. It's a meeting. Shut up. I don't care. The Mr. summit Mr. is expected. Biden, Mr. Biden, it's time for your soup. I'm sorry. I need to take a break. It's time for my warm soup. What Joe, pay color? attention. What color is the jello today? <laughs> The summit is expected to last four to five hours, officials said, without any breaks for food. Biden and Putin are scheduled to hold separate news conferences after it concludes. The first of two scheduled sessions between Biden and Putin ended after about 90 minutes, the White House said. A second session that includes additional aides was said to be getting underway. Okay. Um, they so, better feed yeah. these guys because I get hangry. Can you yeah. imagine? Yeah. Poop? Oh, yeah. You'll end up with a war, Michael. I'd keep a yeah. Snickers bar in my jacket pocket. The White House felt compelled today to clarify what Biden intended to convey with a nod during the open moments of meeting with Putin. Oh, wow. Uh, I wasn't really thinking about it much. I just I nodded. Biden was not responding to a reporter's question about whether he trusts Putin which had been shouted evidently concurrently with the nod body language segment. Uh, Blah, blah, blah. Putin said he'd be open to a prisoner swap that the United States, two U.S. Marines are among those being held in Russian prisons, Paul Whelan and Trevor Reed. Putin mentioned Konstantin Yaroshenko, who's serving a 20-year prison sentence in the United States for conspiracy to bring drugs into the country as someone Russia might want back in a swap. Russia's short on drug dealers or something. 
Although, you know, in the international spookery, I actually had an interesting conversation with somebody who was involved in counterintelligence yesterday. Um, in international spookery, there are a lot of people and things that are not what they say they are. Oh, yeah. Obviously. Whenever I hear a U.S. hiker got nabbed in Iran or something like that, I think they might have been a spy. They might have been exactly what the Ayatollah is claiming. I don't know. Right. They might be a full-on spy, they might be somebody doing their government a favor, or they might just be a hiker, but you don't have any idea based on anything anybody says. Here's our intelligence officer, Joe Getty, surrounded by books, computers, charts. Here's our counterintelligence officer, Positive Sean, just eating mayonnaise right from the jar. (laughs) On counterintelligence. You're more anti-intelligence than counterintelligence. Which... Yes. <laughs> okay, so that so they get together, they jaw at each other for about 90 minutes, just the two of them and the interpreters, and then, uh, well, I'm sorry, so the two of them, the interpreters, Secretary of State Antony Blinken, and uh, Putin was accompanied by the Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov, just those four, plus interpreters. Then the White House said in a statement Biden and Putin were moving into, quote, an expanded bilateral meeting with more aides joining on both sides. Interesting. You know, I think it's good good to stay in touch, good to meet. You know, Putin will do what Putin wants to do and needs to do for his country's national interest. I was reading a bunch about the whole uh, cyber attack, the ransomware thing. How it's coming from Russia, how the United States really wants it to stop. They want Putin to rein it in. But any of the levers we have available through conventional international relations are almost certainly going to be useless unless Putin decides it's in his best interest to cooperate. Our ability to compel him is brutally limited, partly because, and I wish I'd had time before the show today, I really wanted to research this this question, As Putin and Russia are doing lots of energy business with Germany in particular, I'm pretty certain that those Russian hackers are not bringing Germany to its knees. And so the Germans have no interest in helping us. The the French, well, they're French. Uh, the, The Brits would probably be inclined to help us, but they have their own problems. We just, unless we are truly going to go it alone and go hardcore, there's not much we can do. And the analysis I was reading said, really, in these instances, the only thing that works, unless you're willing to actually go to war, is broad international consensus. And we're just not going to get it. Sorry to be uh, pessimistic on y'all, but uh, that's just the way I see it. Uh, you want to hear the partisan take on these? I can give you a couple of quick examples if you want them. Sure. Well, from uh, Donald Trump Jr., does anybody think that the Biden-Putin meeting will be anything but a bloodbath for American interests? Or, from a former Obama uh, diplomat, by the end of this summit today with President Biden, Putin is really going to miss his lapdog Trump. So those are your two partisan views. Well, both completely fair and even-handed and reasonable. And helpful to the discussion. And if we engaged in that, we'd probably be uh, wealthier and have more uh, affiliates. Yes. But I just, I don't, I'm not going there. Right. I, I think Biden, who, while he has been wrong about virtually everything in foreign policy through the years, he and Anthony Blinken, who I think is a pretty strong hand at the till. We'll see. Time will tell. But I got to believe they're going to say to Putin, look, the uh, the ransomware thing's got to end. Uh, we are willing to go a great deal farther on sanctions. We will screw with you as hard as we can. We will make it painful. On the other hand, Vlad, what do you want? 
What do you want? Is there what can we do for you that'll make you rein this stuff in? And listen to him. Maybe he says something out of I want the rest of Crimea and uh let's see, uh south of France, uh nice beaches. Uh okay, then F off. But if he says something fairly reasonable, easing of sanctions here, maybe a little cooperation uh, with with Syria or what have you, yeah, it's worth talking about. No, I don't think he's going to mop the floor with Biden any more than he mopped the floor with the last four or five guys. I think Biden smiled too much when they met. I just, I just thought body it was way, language way, segment way, way too smiley a way to walk into somebody that is a, an absolute complete enemy. I don't know what the deal is there. Too smiley. I don't know. It's uh, a tradition, for instance, uh, Korean boxers. When they, a lot of Asian boxers actually, when they get tagged hard, they smile at their opponent. They say, "I'm fine. You don't scare me." I don't mind it at all, but, you know, eye of the beholder. Too smiley. Yeah. Got a grimace. He should have even shook his fist. Why, you? That's Grr. what he should have gone with. As he I ought to. <laughs> anyway, Let's our text see. line is uh, 415-295-KFTC. Charles Barkley says you can't have fun anymore in America because he's been uh, told to stop making a certain kind of joke on his NBA broadcast. Among other things, of course, we'll keep our eye on the whole Putin-Biden thing as people continue to break it down with really nothing to break down. The Armstrong and Getty Show. When the truckster goes off on these uh, now familiar rants about uh, the city of San Antonio and its inhabitants, he, he ruffles some feathers over Oh, really? Like, my, my Twitter blows up, doesn't yours, about what Chuck oh, yeah. says about Come on, man, you got to have a sense <laughs> of humor. It, uh, I know, people, you know. It... People got to have a sense of humor. What are we talking about here? So, Charles Barkley, I love the TNT show. If you like NBA basketball, you like the TNT show that they do with Charles Barkley and uh, Shaq's on there and this other guy, Kenny Smith, you might not know him. And the host, what's his name? Ernie Johnson. Ernie Johnson. Who uh, probably doesn't get enough credit for making that whole thing run. But the reason Maybe is, the last man in America named Ernie as well. And uh, really the reason that thing took off in the beginning and is such a popular sports show is because Charles Barkley, is his personality is just, it's what it is. And he's, he's the most honest guy that's ever been in sports. He'll, he'll say, this game is boring. <laughs> it's just, you know, nobody else ever says that sort of stuff. Yeah, it's great. He doesn't um, care. He has no dams to give. Yeah, well, you're going to hear more about that in just a second. But um, uh, I was watching last night, and it was really good. Um, he said, I think the Milwaukee Bucks are going to win, but they are the stupidest team I've ever seen. they got a bunch <laughs> of stars that make the stupidest decisions I've ever seen anybody make. Um, I had another comment on that. I don't remember. It'll flip back into my head. Anyway. Um, he, uh, well, I'll just read what, uh, what he said yesterday because he got in trouble. Apparently TNT, the network that he uh, works for, the TNT higher ups wanted to put an end to a long running bit where Charles Barkley makes fun of the women of San Antonio. He's been doing that for years. <laughs> the women. Oh my. And Charles Barkley said, if you crack a joke the wrong way now, they're like, oh no, 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 you cross the line. I mean, they won't even let me talk about San Antonio anymore. Well, I'm always talking about their big old women down in San Antonio. 
They're like, Charles, we got one lady wrote an article. I'm like, first of all, I didn't call anybody personally fat in San Antonio. I was just joking around. We've been having fun with this for probably 10, 15 years. We go to San Antonio, the people are having a blast with it. The people in San Antonio had T-shirts made up about this, which I've seen that before. Yeah. Because that's kind of their on-running. And you get a giant crowd, and they all show up, and they give him crap, and he gives them crap and everything like that. You can't even have fun nowadays without these characters trying to get you canceled and things like that. I'm trying to hang on for another couple of years until I'm 60, and then they can kiss my ass. (laughs) I'm only working until I'm 60. I've already told them that. I'm not working until the day I die. That's just stupid. And if I don't have enough money by now, I'm an idiot anyway. They should fire me anyway. (laughs) Wow. I love Chuck. <laughs> that is really funny. Yeah. All right, told him I'm only working till 60. If I don't have enough money by now, I'm an idiot. They should fire me for that. So is the network telling him to stop making those jokes? Claim. Is that what he says? That's yeah. what they claim. Unfrickin' believable. <sighs> well, I, you know. What, what a weird culture we have. The thin-skinnedness. I'm mostly interested. There, there are things, you know, jokes that were okay in the '50s that I'm glad they aren't okay now. But something Barkley was perfectly okay ten years ago that is not okay now. Eh, a, the changes happen a little too fast. Well, right, and obviously it was a give and take thing, and the people of San Antonio had a voice, and they could express either their disapproval or hooting and hollering at Chuck Barkley, who's a fat guy. Uh, you know, it's just there's no real victim here. Plus, pretending there is. It's a show aimed at dudes that watch sports. So if the jokes between him and that crowd don't fit in with another crowd, who cares? You yeah, got your own I entertainment. I know it's uh. ridiculous and pathetic. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. According to reports, a recent data breach of the burger chain McDonald's disclosed the square footage of restaurant play areas. And this is alarming. Those ball pits are 30 feet deep. Hmm. <laughs> Who knew? Hmm. Um, a whole civilization down there. We talked. Yeah, microbes and diseases. <laughs> we talked to Bill Bratton earlier in the program, who was the uh, police chief in Los Angeles and in New York City. And he's got and Baston, and he's got a book out about his career. And we talked about the the surging crime wave all across America and what to do about it and that sort of thing. You can catch it on the podcast at ArmstrongandGetty.com. Also, though, in the conversation, it came up because I read his um, piece in the New York Times over the weekend. They interviewed him, and he's talking about his favorite books. One of his all time favorite books is, and a bunch of people just texted about it, so I'm going to tell you now. It's called. 1939, A People's History of the Coming of the Second World War. And it's what was going on in the world and what the attitudes were among various countries before World War II started. Oh, that sounds great. I am scared of anything called a people's history because that's what Howard Zinn's infamous, dangerous, has destroyed America book that so many high schools use as a textbook is called a people's history. But um, this one uh, seems so good so far. Any opportunity to kick Howard's in is is one that must be taken, so I appreciate you saying that. But the a view into people's attitudes uh before events and and how they were you know evolved is so 
interesting because history is always presented as if it were practically inevitable. I think Church, it was Churchill that uh, wrote that the, the the how you got to World War One or World War Two is more interesting than the, the event itself. Which yeah, is pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah, well said. So, uh, yeah, I'll have to I'll have to give that a read. That is now in slot one thirty nine of the 450 books I've sworn I'm going to read. There you go. Uh, so speaking of, of crime and that sort of thing, uh, I just wanted to touch on this briefly. Last weekend was ridiculously bloody. F- at least four major cities reeling from an onslaught of mass shootings over the weekend left at least 38 people wounded, six dead, police officials alarmed, uh, thinking the gun violence is a prelude to a bloody summer as the nation emerges from the pandemic, which I'm not sure has anything to do with anything. I mean, it's coincident, not uh, causal. But police in Austin, Cleveland, Chicago, and Savannah, Georgia, all investigating Sunday mass shootings that erupted over a six-hour streak. And again, killed six, at least six, and 38 other people shot, uh, which is just spectacular. Uh, Savannah Chief of Police Roy Minter Jr. said, quote, it's very disturbing what we're seeing across the country, level of gun violence all across the country. It's disturbing and it's senseless. Uh, a baby and a child and a couple of teenagers were wounded in that uh, attack. Then they go into the particulars of the the shooting in uh, Chicago, let's see, in Austin, it was in an entertainment district, a bunch of people shooting each other, blah, blah, blah. And then, of course, because this is from ABC News, the only commentary about cause or what can be done is one thing is clear, said the governor of, or the mayor, rather, of Austin. Uh, greater access to firearms does not equal greater public safety. Okay. That is the only comment on how did we get here? Unbelievable. One thing is clear, is people having guns isn't going to help. Yeah. Why did yeah. you feel the need to go there? As the, perhaps the most bizarre, because it's so common, assumption in American politics is repeated, those who are willing to take a human life, risk a life sentence with no parole, violate the most sacred law of God and of man, somebody willing to do that, will follow gun regulations. It's an idiotic notion. Now, granted, crazy people and felons shouldn't have guns. Of course, those are already laws, and and we should work to enforce them. But there's absolutely nobody speaking to a culture of violence, a culture of grievance, that every grievance is a disaster and must be paid for in blood. Why is nobody talking about that cultural norm? That's the problem. I have multiple firearms. I'm not going to shoot anybody. Not unless they have it coming. Which, by my standards, is virtually nobody unless they're threatening my life or my wife's. Um, why is nobody courageous enough to say, in much of America, particularly black America, but certainly not exclusively black America, the attitude is, if I am at all aggrieved, I get to shoot you. And we need the, the churches and the schools and the street sweepers and the, the, just everybody working on a new way. Nobody wants to talk about that. One more crime-related story. This is from uh, CBS in Los Angeles. Residents and business owners are growing frustrated and worrying about the rash of homeless encampment fires that have been breaking out across Southern California. L.A. Fire Department was talking to CBS Los Angeles, and they said 
every week, crews respond to one or two fires at homeless encampments. Oh, I'm sorry, I misread that. Every week, they're responding to dozens of fires caused by homeless encampments. Wait a minute, I misread it again. Ladies and gentlemen, L.A. Fire Department says every day they're responding to dozens of fires caused by bum and junkie camps. California, and I'm sure you've heard this already, is tinder dry and about to explode. And yet these bums and junkies set dozens of fires every single day. So during the worst drought in state history, you have bums on purpose or accidentally setting fires every single day. That's just uh, that's untenable. Right. Both property and livelihoods are being impacted by the destruction caused by the fires. One business owner found his downtown property on fire, cost him more than cost him more than a hundred dollars in merchandise. Uh, he, he comments how heartbreaking and terrible it is. Here you go. CBS, congratulations on uh, engaging in the political correct verbiage that makes you, that brands you, that, that, that shows you to be enlightened. It's important to note that many people experiencing homelessness do not have access to cell phones. So if a fire breaks out, they may not have a way to contact authorities. We need to get beyond the wishy-washy, ridiculous people experiencing homelessness thing and recognize what that mayor of Aurora, Colorado, discovered, because it's practically universal. I have not heard anybody contradict what he said, which is that your shelter people are down and out. Maybe they got a habit or whatever, drugs or alcohol, but they're trying, and they're trying to get back on their feet. The people in the tents... The junkie encampments are drug addicts who like to live outside and almost to a person say, I'm not moving to any damn shelter and I'm not moving to your super nice housing because you won't let me do drugs. F you, I like living outdoors. And those are the people setting the fires. The nice people who had one too many medical bills got fired as a cook or whatever and now they can't afford the rent. They're not setting any fires. There are distinct populations among the homeless and until leaders and media start to recognize that and talk about it honestly we're never going to get anywhere but california is going to explode in flames and there's a damn good chance it's going to be a junkie fire so we got some good funny stuff coming up next segment uh in just a moment i'm going to tell you an interesting economic stat that shows we're back baby um but first this so the biden putin summit is going on as we speak, they met this morning, shook hands, said a couple of things, sat down, a gazillion pictures were taken, and now they're behind closed doors for four or five hours. Here's a little reporting out of Politico. One, they're into the second phase of their what they're calling a tense meeting. I don't know how many different phases there are, but it's going to last four or five hours. But So we've been talking a little bit as details come in about the scrum, the melee, the shoving match, whatever you want to call it, that happened at the beginning of this thing. Here's Politico's version, and they have a reporter there. The throng of press covering the Biden-Putin summit quickly devolved into a chaotic scene today with Russian security forces shoving members of the media while White House officials screamed at the Russians for their treatment of the journalists. Wow. Wow. That is a tense meeting. Russian security forces shoving the media and American officials yelling at the Russian security forces for, you know, being hard on the media. Huh. There's going to be a lot of different versions of these stories. Um, I uh, I look forward to hearing them all. I want to know what was going on there. Not good. Yeah, I mean, it's possible. 
possible that the the press got too close to Putin or something like that. It's also possible that the the KGB genius and Putin is saw an opportunity to somehow disrupt the thing or make it look chaotic as Biden was speaking, sowing the seeds of chaos because that's what he does. Of course, you I'm not sure exactly to what advantage that would be, but I'm not a KGB genius. You could also have just one guy inadvertently stepped on another guy's foot and, you know, cut in line and, you know, two people with no greater geopolitical anything going on at all. Just, you know, one guy cut in front of the other guy and he says something, he says something, he shoves, then the other guy shoves. You know, we've all seen this happen. Right. So it might not mean anything. Um, The four men... Putin, Biden, and the people flanking them, that would be our Secretary of State and his dude, accompanied by translators, were expressionless throughout the photo opportunity, although Biden did crack a smile as reporters jostled for better positions. So, again, it might have just been jostling. I don't know. Hmm. We'll learn more as the day goes on. And, uh, unfortunately, it probably might be the last hour of this show when it ends and uh, Biden comes out and takes questions. If he does, we'll, we'll bring it to you live. Uh, Putin's also going to have a press conference, and I'm guessing he'll have a completely different version of what happened today. Which will be interesting in and of itself. And sure keep will. in mind what Condi Rice said the other day. She said, uh, don't worry about the you know the press conference or the statements. Worry about policy and actions as months unfold. So here's your economic indicator. It's uh, kind of interesting that things are kind of back to normal a lot of places. Not where I live, but a lot of places. We spend more money... Eating out than we spend on groceries in America. I guarantee you that wasn't true when I was a kid. I don't know. Oh, what, no. <laughs> I, I I don't know when that became the norm. I would guess in the nineties, somewhere those lines crossed. That's probably about right. Yeah. But anyway, for decades now, we spend more money eating out than we spend on groceries. And coincidentally, that's exactly the trend line of the obesity crisis. True that. And if you spend more money on eating out than you do on groceries, which the average person does, apparently, uh, if you run out of money, it'd be the first place you ought to look. Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, obviously those numbers switched drastically when the pandemic hit. The graph is something. The, The eating out went down to practically nothing because there weren't no restaurants open, and people started spending more money eating at home on groceries than they did at restaurants for... Many months up until a couple weeks ago. Now we are back to spending more money eating out than on groceries, and that's seen as an economic indicator that things are getting pretty back to normal. Boy, that changed in a hurry. Well, it took a year, but uh, well, yeah, yeah. But uh, what was the uh, what was the the turning point? Probably just what a month ago. Yeah, in recent weeks. Yeah, yeah. As, there you go. Uh, Oh, that's right. I have more uh, pretty interesting information on uh, the desperate need for employees across the country. I want to uh, check out this TikTok thing. A woman went on TikTok with her casual dining first date uh, recommendations or um, a way of break, breaking down. If somebody takes you th- to this restaurant on your first date, this is what it means. Ah, I and love it's, that. Uh, it's making the rounds. It's a, it's a funny. We like to play the funnies. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> And we're keeping Stay our, tuned for the funnies. And we're keeping our eye on the Biden-Putin summit. If anything happens, you'll know about it. Armstrong and Getty.
Armstrong and Getty Show. I say yes. When I, you ask me on a dinner date, I say yes. One exception. I only do casual dining restaurants on first dates. You agree. You take a Stapplebee's. I immediately note that you're probably an alcoholic and are only here for the $1 Long Island iced teas. <laughs> I'm ecstatic. I don't give a f- about the food either. We get blocked out, hook up, and probably never speak again. <laughs> There's, more. There's more. <laughs> that is pretty funny. So that's uh, one of the hot TikToks right now, describing the different uh, dining choices that one can make on a first date and what they mean. So she's so rapid fire. What restaurant was that? Applebee's. Uh, that was Applebee's. Applebee's. Yeah. Oh, okay. Hilarious. Where the Apple Buddies, that's what they call the people who work their Apple Buddies. Where the Apple Buddies bring you the uh, $1 extra large Long Island iced tea. He's probably oh, an alcoholic. Yeah. Let's hear more from this young woman. Take a solid garden. It's clear that you tried to make an effort to pick the most romantic out of the options that you had. Also says that you're not real picky about the food as long as it has butter and calories in it. I agree. Unfortunately, it doesn't make up for the fact that you're not Italian because a real Italian wouldn't take me here. You take us to Chili's, you immediately win. I know that you're a man of taste, culture, and style. And if you bring up the two for 25, we might actually have a future together. You take us to TJ Fridays. I conclude that you're either a sociopath or have formed an emotional connection to this restaurant at some point. Because we all know that all they offer is uncooked ribs and screaming children. You take us to Buffalo Wild Wings. I applaud you for thinking out of the box and not feeling threatened by the look of me eating wings. Pot, I'm interested, but you'll probably cheat on me if we end up dating. <laughs> What was their thing about TGI Fridays where they only offer overcooked ribs and screaming children? Yeah. <laughs> that is pretty funny. <laughs> you know, you know what scares me about this job uh, since social media became a thing is realizing how many clever people there are in the world. There are way more clever people not making a living off their cleverness than I ever guessed. And it's uh, as a, somebody who makes a living at least somewhat off cleverness. It's in. It's scary. Allegedly, glad I got so, in. Glad I got in early. Speaking of food, that delicious American dessert, that very symbol of American life, the apple pie, is ah! both racist and colonialist. I will explain next hour. Can't wait to hear that. So we did a segment on Schrodinger's cat years ago. Uh, I had I had just read about it for the first time, and we talked about it on the air, and we've kind of joked about it over the years. But a lot of you didn't didn't hear that segment because we weren't on all these radio stations. And two, um, um, you know, maybe you're just unfamiliar with it. Now I'm going to give like the most basic, broadline description of it. So if all you astrophysicists listening, you know, just calm down. Everything will be okay. But uh, so I'm reading this new book about quantum mechanics and quantum theory, and it is believed by many to be the most important scientific development in human history. If that is true, it seems like I ought to know more about it. So I'm reading this book that is supposed to be the best book yet, written for laymen to try to understand what's going on there. Anyway, It's how the world works at the atomic and subatomic level, right, more a- or less? Absolutely, and things get okay. really weird at the subatomic level in a way that don't make sense with all the other laws of the universe. And uh, and Einstein and all his pals were we became aware of this and talked about it all the time, trying to figure out you know what the heck's going on because like electrons don't do what matter should do, they just don't follow the rules. And trying to figure out why that is, and it's got something to do with observing things. If you don't observe it, it didn't happen. Or if you if, once you observe it, it happened. But until you observe it, it didn't happen. Which what is really complicated? And that's where the whole Schrodinger's cat came com, comes from. Schrodinger. Who is a uh, the, you know a super smart guy, physicist, physics expert, whatever he was, uh, early 1900s. He was trying to explain to Einstein 
this uh, idea of quantum um, mechanics that you have to observe things to be true. And he came up with this thought experiment that is now known as Schrodinger's cat. This is what he was describing to Einstein. And the idea, if you've got a cat in a box and you believe it's alive, it's alive until the moment you observe it dead. So in that way, it can be both alive and dead at the same time. And it's got to do with uh, electrons aren't doing what they're doing until you observe them doing what they're doing. So they can be doing two things at once. He used the example of the cat. So it's pretty gruesome if you're a cat lover, but uh, there's various ways where they put poison in there or whatever they do. And they, mm. the, the cat dies, but until you observe it dead, it's not dead, so it's both alive and dead at the same time. Now, Schrodinger did win a Nobel Prize for physics. He was one of Einstein's close friends, so there's no dummy. Uh, but that's what Schrodinger's cat is. If you ever hear us referring to it, Schrodinger's cat can be alive and dead at the same time. I don't get it. Um, and, uh, well, I certainly don't get it. I'm only one chapter in. This idea that you, that it's not real unless you observe it when it comes to physics is just mind blowing. Well, it was mind blowing for the 25 year old, 23 year old who first came up with it as he sat on a rock staring at the ocean. It all popped into his head and it just, he just discovered it at once and it mm. has changed the way people look at the world. You might as well be trying to explain the days of the week to a dog. It just goes right past me. <laughs> yeah. I really want to grasp this. I really, really want to. Like, it's, it's my white whale to grasp this. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to be that smart, but I'm not, and I accept it. Amen. <laughs> and you're good with that. There's nothing I can do about it. Take it to the grave. Armstrong and Getty.